Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Well, today our lesson begins in John 10, verse 40, and uh, Jesus leaves Jerusalem once more. It says, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. So Jesus goes to this place beyond the Jordan where he knows that the religious leaders aren't going to follow him. And yet still people are coming to him and putting their faith in him. And the people here speak of John the Baptist in the past tense, because by this stage, Herod had already had him put to death. And yet John the Baptist's witness about Jesus Christ lived on even after he was gone. Jesus is not going to go back to Jerusalem now until his triumphal entry into the city just before his arrest. So let's pick it up in chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were friends of Jesus. And we're told in verse 2 that Lazarus's one sister, Mary, was the one, and I quote John, who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, it's just worth noting that the account of that is still to come. It's going to actually happen in John chapter 12. Mary is not the woman with the alabaster jar that we hear about in Luke chapter 7. That woman was a prostitute and that event took place in Galilee. Mary, however, was a virtuous woman and she and her family lived in Bethany less than two miles away from Jerusalem. And it seems that Christ stayed with them from time to time when visiting the city. When their brother Lazarus fell ill, the two sisters immediately sent a messenger to their friend Jesus to let him know. Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan where John the Baptist used to minister. And we know that the journey between Bethany and that place would take a day. And that is going to be significant in a moment. Once the messenger reached him, we're told something very important there in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. 
So Jesus tells the messenger that this will not end in death. Notice, Jesus does not say that Lazarus will not die. He says that it will not end there. The messenger immediately returned to the sisters, but Jesus stayed where he was for two more days before setting out on the journey himself. Now, we'll see shortly that by the time Jesus arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been dead for four days. So if you work it out, that means that Lazarus must have died before the messenger even reached Jesus. Think about it. On day one, the messenger goes to Jesus and Lazarus dies almost immediately after he leaves. Day two, the messenger returns to the sisters while Jesus delays. Day three, Jesus waits another day. And then on the fourth day, he travels to Bethany. And as he arrives, he's told that Lazarus has already been dead four days. Now, you may wonder why I mention all of that. It is because I wonder what these people thought of the messenger's words when he got home. I mean, can you imagine him running in with the news that Jesus says this sickness will not end in death, only to be told that, well, unfortunately, it already has. I mean, surely people would have thought, wow, Jesus got that wrong. Not only that, but how were they supposed to make sense of Jesus' delay? It sounds so strange to me, but look at the way verse 5 and 6 are written. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. You see, he loved each of them deeply, and yet he still allowed this difficult thing to happen. He took his time because he had a reason. But we know this, his love for them was never in question. When Jesus says that he and the disciples should go to Bethany, I want us to look at the way they answer him in verse 8. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Make no mistake, this is a very dangerous situation. But Jesus wants them to walk by faith and not by sight. And he tells them that as the light of the world, he sees the path. He's working according to his father's timetable. And then he tells them that Lazarus has died. Now, often in scripture, death for a believer is likened to sleep because death is really a temporary thing. The body may rest for a moment, but the spirit lives on. But as it was so often the case, the disciples did not understand what Jesus meant. 
His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus knows that his disciples' faith is going to be built up by what they're about to witness. And he's glad for their sake that he wasn't there when it happened because he knows that this is going to have a big effect on them when they realize that nothing is impossible for him. If you know the story, Jesus is about to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. And it's very important to understand that Jesus had raised the dead before in his ministry. But there's something different and extremely significant about the raising of Lazarus, which we will soon see. In verse 17, we learn how Lazarus had died four days earlier. And we make note of the fact that it says in the text that he had already been in the tomb four days. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Being so close to Jerusalem, it was easy for the religious leaders to come to this family who were such close friends of Jesus. And just as the disciples had expected, the Jewish leaders were already there waiting for him. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You can be sure that as they sat around discussing Jesus' response to the messenger, this was something that they had repeatedly said to one another. If Jesus had only been here, Lazarus would not have died. Now, notice, though, even now, Martha calls Jesus Lord as she speaks to him. And the Greek word for Lord there is kurios, meaning my owner, my master. And then Martha goes on to say something that is really quite remarkable. She says to him, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha appears to be familiar with the teaching of Daniel chapter 12 verses 2 to 3 in the Old Testament because she knows that God had promised a resurrection 
on the final day. Jesus does not deny that, but he goes on to tell her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. This is the fifth of Jesus's I am statements. And he tells her that some will die and will be raised to life again. But he also seems to say that some will not die at all. If you look at verse 26 and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha responds to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And so she confirms her belief in him using three different titles for Jesus. She calls him Lord, her personal master. She says he is the Christ or the Messiah, the promised one of God. And also she acknowledges his divinity by calling him the son of God. Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary was the one who had sat at Jesus' feet while her sister Martha had worked. And even so, there are no words of faith from Mary, only grief. Do you see how there Mary says the exact same thing her sister said? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If is such a small word, isn't it? But it's filled with so much regret here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? The Jews immediately think that he is grieving for Lazarus. And surely Jesus saw the family's pain and heartache and he wept out of compassion for them. But let me also suggest that he may have been weeping for Lazarus because he knew that he was about to call Lazarus back from glory. There was a time in my life several years ago when I was admitted into the hospital on the point of death. I had some blood clots in my lungs and I'd been walking around with them for a week before they were discovered when the doctor sent me for a scan. My lungs were so compromised that they would not allow me to go the short distance 
from the imaging centre up to the hospital emergency room on my own or with a friend. They had to call an ambulance for me. Now, as I put on my clothes after the scan, waiting for the ambulance to arrive, I remember telling God that I didn't want to die because my children were in high school at the time and they needed me. And apart from that, I had a good husband who would surely miss me. And I remember the Lord telling me then, Michelle, all of your days were written in my book before one of them came to be. Just because you've heard the diagnosis, it does not mean that you have one day less than you ever did have before. Well, I was admitted into the hospital emergency room. It did not look good. It was extremely serious. And honestly, they did not expect me to live. But I did survive. And it's because God has the final say. Perhaps Jesus was crying for Lazarus' sisters and friends. Perhaps he was also crying for Lazarus because he was having to come back to earth. No one can imagine what Jesus is about to do. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Do you see how we're told again that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days and that actually by now he must have started to decay? This was significant because back then Jewish people believed that the soul remained near to the body for three days after death in the hope of somehow returning to it. Even their tombs had a small window cut in next to the door so that after three days, the soul might escape to heaven through that window. The fact was, this was the fourth day. So to them, all hope was certainly gone. Lazarus was not only dead, to their minds, nothing at all could change that. Perhaps Martha thought that Jesus just wanted to see his friend Lazarus for one more time. We don't know, but you can hear the concern in her voice when he asks that the stone be moved. And Jesus had to remind her of what he'd said to her earlier. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. They obeyed Christ's command and took away the stone, even though in their minds, all hope was gone. Now, let me ask you something, though. Which do you think is more difficult, moving a stone or raising someone who has been dead for four days? Well, if Jesus was going to raise Lazarus with just one command, why didn't he just speak and have the stone roll away as well? 
It's amazing to me that he would ask those present to move the stone when he really did not need them to. But I see this as evidence of his love for us in that he invites us to be involved, to join him in the work that only he can do. Of course, as with other signs of Christ, there was a spiritual application for this miracle. You see, Jesus is the one who brings the spiritually dead to life, but he invites you and me to play a part. The warning for us, of course, is that we need to be carefully listening to Christ's word. Lazarus's friends did only what Christ told them to do. They didn't rush in to give Lazarus CPR. They moved the stone. And then, of course, they helped their loved one out of the grave clothes once he had come out. In a spiritual sense, it's only Christ who can raise the dead. But he invites us to be the stone movers and the grave clothe unwrappers. Our job is to remove the obstacles that prevent people from answering his call. And then once they respond, we're to help them to real freedom because we're to help them unravel their grave clothes of their old life. And I think there we have the great truth to be learned about Christian service and ministry. The better grasp you have of this, the more effective that your ministry will be. You cannot do great things for God. And quite honestly, he does not need you to. He does, however, invite you to join him in the work that only he can do. And as you do that, your relationship with him will be deepened and developed. And though you cannot do the things he calls you to do in your own strength, it doesn't mean that you have no part to play. We see in John 11, 41 and 42 that Jesus prayed for the benefit of those who listened. And then he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And I think that Jesus really had to use Lazarus's name here, because if he hadn't used a name, all of the graves would have emptied. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So many of the religious leaders there came to faith in Christ because of this, but others ran back to report Jesus to the authorities in Jerusalem. And as a result, a meeting of that council was called where they discussed what to do about Jesus. The leaders state there that they're worried about the Roman reaction, but the only reason they're doing that is to try to make their wicked schemes seem more righteous than they are. The only thing that they're really worried about is losing their own influence. Verse 49. 
Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. This is significant, and it'll surface again in John chapter 18 at the arrest of Christ. The real high priest of Israel at that time was a man by the name of Annas. And under God's law, the high priest held office for his lifetime. But because Rome feared the power of the high priest and his influence over the people, the Romans had retired Annas early and appointed his son-in-law Caiaphas as high priest instead. It seems that this appointment was merely a temporary one as well, which is why John says that Caiaphas was high priest that year. Though Caiaphas certainly didn't understand it, God did enable him to speak prophetically concerning Christ. Verse 51 says, He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Jesus, you see, would die for Jew and Gentile alike, scattered across the whole world. Jesus would bring God's people, his sheep, into one flock under one shepherd, just as he'd promised to do in John chapter 10. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. It was at this point that the Sanhedrin officially decided to put Christ to death. Initially, they thought that they'd wait until after Passover, but God's plan was being worked out, not theirs. Verse 55, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. When teaching this story about Lazarus, I've often been asked, why did Jesus delay? Why didn't he answer Martha and Mary when they called? Was it out of a hardness of heart? Well, Remember John 11, verse 4, where Jesus had stated that Lazarus's illness would not end in death? He also said that it was for God's glory so that God's Son might be glorified through it. Now, people think that Jesus delayed so that God's name would be glorified through the raising of Lazarus. And certainly the miracle did bring glory to God. But remember, the reason that Jesus had delayed was also so that God's son may be glorified through it. The glorification of Christ is the result of his death burial, resurrection, and ascension. We think the miracle had been done 
about proving the power of God alone, when really the miracle was done to bring about the death of Christ at Passover, the greatest miracle of mercy and love mankind would ever know. So let me say in closing that when it's hard to understand God and why he's allowed something in your own life, when there are no easy answers, trust him. Know that his love for you is never in question and that often he has a purpose far greater than the one we see. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for what we see in the lives of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and how you were working to your purposes, even though they didn't understand. Lord, when we have circumstances happen to us that we can't understand, when it seems that you delay so long, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of this story and that, that your love for us is never in question and that you are working out your purposes so that the Father's name might be glorified. And Lord, I just pray that we would be very aware of your presence with us and your compassion and your comfort, even in the midst of our great losses in life. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.